or helmets. <laughs> All right, so you got to go ask that. Miracle Whip or helmets? Miracle Whip or helmets? So hopefully you got a bulletin coming in. And I think Hellman's is the way to go personally. I think Hellman's is. Uh, let's see. So in the bulletin, a couple things. So one, hopefully you have a sheet of paper in there to talk about in a second. Uh, let's see. First bullet point, summer, Sunday, fun day, which we had last Sunday, was awesome. Right? It was just a lot of fun. It was our, yeah, we can clap for that for sure. Our first ever, and we had a bunch of baptisms, and a bunch of family and friends saw it, food, just fun, hanging out. It turned out to be a nice day, you know, it was raining, and I saw it in the morning, I was like, oh man, you know, and I'm looking at the radar, and it says it's going to clear up, but then I look outside, and it doesn't look like it's going to clear up, but uh, it ended up working out, you know, right around noon when we showed up, really it was clear, and the sun started coming out, and we started doing baptisms, so it was an awesome day, a lot of fun. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll certainly be doing it again next year. Um, a couple things on there just to keep in mind. Uh, just because fall is rapidly approaching and like registrations and sign-ups for different things uh, is coming up. Uh, weekend to remember uh, for marriages, you just need to get away with your spouse and then talk about uh, some important things with marriage and spend some quality time and gain some useful uh, tools and work on communication and different things. That's coming up in October. And I hope that me and Julie can make it, but with the little one coming, you know, I'm not sure, but we're going to try and make it for sure. Um, also, the sheet that's in there, right? The Back to School Drive, Acts 4 Ministry, right? We try and do a lot of stuff with them because we really like their ministry and what they're about. And they're about, um, you know, really helping people and serving those people in need and attaching the gospel message to it. So they want to help people in need, and then they also try and bring the gospel message because we just don't want to do you know, good things and humanitarian efforts without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so back to school drive. Uh, they're going to need some shirts, collared Oxford blue, polos, white only, uh, just for the dress code. Uh, usually that is in uh, Waterbury, right, because they're located in Waterbury. Um, they also need some volunteers to kind of help run this. If you're interested as far as like maybe even volunteering some time, maybe for that day, 
let me know. Or you can email Laura. Her email address is right on there. And there's a bin in the back, and it's empty. So I'm hoping we have it full or close to full by next week. Because next week I have to collect it and bring it down there. So us as a church will try and collect all the stuff that we can. Polo shirts, uh, you know, dress pants. All the stuff that it says on here, we'll try and fill it up in there. And hopefully I'll be able to drop some stuff off for them like we did last time. Last time we did the Father's Day drive and they were really happy and impressed with all the stuff that us as a little church were able to bless a lot of people with. So we try and do what we can when we can do it. Uh, Let's see, retreat brochures are in the back. Some other things coming up in the fall. Men's retreat, September 23rd to 25th. Again, I hope I can go. I'm not really sure how it's going to work out. And women's retreats from September 16th to 18th. Um, another church in town, uh, Christ the King, Evangelical Free Church. They're going up there in, uh, in Woodbridge. They have people going from there too. And so we're going to kind of go with them and fellowship together. And so it's a great time you know, for us as churches to kind of get to know those of us that are close sometimes in town. And uh, also a good time just to be around you know, some other people here, speaker, and just get a chance just to get away for a little bit. Uh, and, and more information there's brochures in the back I only have a few I'll try and get some more but if you want more information there's a website link right there and you can just go right on the computer check that out and see like what that's all about and uh, that is pretty much everything so let's, uh, let's pray and then, uh, and then we'll get started so God we uh, we come before you Lord and we're going to study your word Lord and First and foremost, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just uh, speak through me, Lord, and um, I pray that it's just, you know, your spirit just flowing from you through me, Lord, and uh, that I wouldn't taint your message at all in any way, God, um, but I would do it right, Lord. And we pray, God, that you just uh, help our minds stay focused, Lord, be as distraction-free as possible, and uh, speak to our hearts, Lord. You know, this is our time and opportunity. I don't know. You know, what our weeks have looked like and how busy we've been and what kind of quality time we've really given you. Um, But at least for right now, we could take advantage of this time, this morning, Lord, uh, and give it to you, God. And settle down and try and hear of what you might be trying to say to us. And so, God, we thank you for this time, Lord, and, uh, and we place it in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going through the book of Acts, and we are almost done, right? That was the book that we started when we started the church uh, back in October last year. And so, we're almost through the whole book as a church. Very exciting. And in the book of Acts, we've been covering really Paul and Peter and the apostles and the church, this whole journey of the church, how the church came to be, where it started from, the major players that were involved, how it spread, um, the challenges, the difficulties, the victories, the struggles, all of that. We've just been looking at all of it and kind of see where it's coming from. And it's kind of nice because, you know, we're a new church plan and it's kind of, we're just starting out. And so there are some nice parallels there between their beginnings and kind of our beginnings. And so we're picking up at the end of Acts and at this point in time, Paul has really done a lot of stuff. This guy who was Saul, got knocked off a horse, turned into Paul, biggest advocate of the church, 
and just huge in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody, Jewish people and Gentile people, right? Us, Gentiles. And so he spread it, huge player in it. And at the end here, things are getting really difficult for him. They're getting hairy. And he's kind of labeled um, as sort of a bad boy, kind of, for Christianity. Not in a negative sense, but like he's willing to go out and do whatever it takes to advance the gospel. Right? And his thing is, his mindset was, I don't care, whatever it takes, if I can just finish the task before me that Jesus has put in front of me, that's what I want to do. And he, he literally does it. Whatever it takes, he does it. And within those risks, uh, has been, have come some interesting situations. And since he's a Jewish man, and he was reaching a lot of Jews, you know, there were some struggles there because they weren't really quite sure about his message. Because before he became Paul, right, he was the guy who was Jewish that would go around actually persecuting these Christians and putting them in jail and sometimes killing them. And so when he became Paul and kind of changed his life, it was sort of like... Uh, I don't know, is he for real? Like, it, it, is this like, I don't know, how do we handle this kind of guy? But it like, seems like God is working through him and he's doing a lot of stuff using him. So, I don't know, they're always kind of like at an arm's length because they're not quite sure how to handle him. So sometimes they embrace him, but then other times they're like, eh, I don't know. So he's kind of a difficult character. With that being said, that kind of leads us in a little bit into what we're going to talk about. On the next slide, there's a picture up here. Okay. Now, I don't know if you've seen these guys, right? They're on TV, okay? And I think they might be on Discovery Channel. I think they're part of a series called All Worked Up, okay? And there's this, these funny uh, clips where they have these different jobs. These three particular individuals own a repo business down in North Carolina. And so starting from the left, I think his name is Ron. In the middle, that's his wife, Amy. And on the far is this guy, Bobby, Okay? So it's a repo business. So basically people, they, you know, can't make their payments for their vehicles, 90 days, whatever. Call these guys up, they have to go out, you know, they got to take it. They got to take the vehicle. And they try not to let the, you know, vehicle owners know that because there's going to be confrontations and difficulties. And hence you get the show. That's where the drama comes in. They go out there to get the car, the truck, the motorcycle, whatever, the owners aren't very happy about that, and then there's just all this drama within that, so it's pretty funny. So that's why uh, I watch it, and you know, I was talking about it this week, and so it kind of made me think about this. Why the heck are we talking about these guys? Well, the guy in the end there, Bobby, okay, he's a friend of the guy in the left with the glasses, Ron. That, that, that's his friend. And so when they go out, Bobby is kind of like the muscle. In case things get really difficult and hard to handle, or there's like three or four guys coming out, Bobby the muscle kind of handles them. He has like some mixed martial arts background, and he was an athlete, I think a football player too, and, so, and he's a big guy. He's like 6'4", you know, 240, so just a big guy, big strong guy. So he's kind of like the muscle of the operation, while Ronnie will load it up on the truck and then kind of drive out of there. And so... Sometimes they can go in, maybe an argument, maybe a little bit of a scuffle, but then they get the vehicle out. But sometimes they go in, and Bobby gets a little bit too aggressive, or it escalates too much, and they get really mad or really upset. So not only did they have their vehicle just taken away, but now they're really mad at the people who just did it, because this guy just turned it up a few notches. 
So when the owners come to the office where these guys are, they come in, if they're mad, right, and, and they had to deal with Bobby, they come in, slam in the doors, where's that guy, you know, who threw me down, or, you know, whatever the situation was, and they're really, really heated, right? Bobby brings a lot of heat back to the office if he doesn't really keep his head in composure, and he gets sucked in into the emotion of the people with their stuff are getting taken away. Right? If he doesn't keep it, he brings a lot of heat back to the office. Now, Paul is actually bringing a lot of heat to the church in Jerusalem. Not in a negative sense where he was beating people up and like causing trouble, but in a sense of Christianity and Moses and the law. And he's bringing some heat back because for Jewish people, the law and Moses is like the pinnacle, the most important. That's what they based their lives on. It was considered a gift from God. And is this guy Paul going around saying, don't follow that anymore? Follow this other guy, Jesus? And so he brings heat back to the church, and they're not quite sure what to do with him. And so we're going to catch up to some of that stuff right now. So we're going to be in Acts 21. We're going to be in verse 17. And we pick up on the scene where last time we met, not last week, but the week before, Paul had already been warned, hey, listen, if you go to Jerusalem, hardship is waiting you, persecution is waiting for you, waiting you. And actually, a guy actually showed that was there with them, he took off Paul's belt, he tied around his wrist, and he said, Hey, this is what's waiting for you in Jerusalem if you go. And Paul's like, Well, I feel like I gotta go. And they're like, Okay, no, so they have like a really kind of sad goodbye, and now he's getting to the place where he knows trouble is awaiting him. So it says, when we arrived at Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is where the head church was, the brothers received us warmly. And they would because Paul was bringing back a bunch of offerings and money and stuff that he collected from the other churches and was bringing it back there. So, you know, they're probably happy about that. So it says, the next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders who were present. So they receive him. Next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, and all the elders that were there at the church. So it says, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And so Paul gets there, brings the money in, talks to James and the elders, and then he's just telling stories about what God has been doing. It says, when they heard this, they praise God. Then they said to Paul, now here's the part, right? They praise them, and then here they get into it. Because he brought some heat back to them. There's some difficulty. They said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? Right, so we'll pause there just for a second because this part is important. Because he says, okay, well that's great. They praise God. Thanks for the stories. It's amazing to hear what's happening. But they say, hey, listen, there's some difficulty here because, you know, like I talked about previously, these guys are zealous for the law. Like, they're passionate about it. They're enthusiastic about it. And so... The question, at least you got to think about right away, 
that's going to like, all this drama is going to kind of rotate around, is why would they be zealous for the law? Like why they would be zealous is going to kind of give us an idea of where they're coming from and kind of paint the picture of what's going on. So why would these Jewish people be zealous for the law? Well, we already said a little bit, they believed that it was from God himself, which it was, through Moses, a special covenant that he gave them. And they also patterned their entire way of life around the law. And then somebody just shows up, supposedly, and says, oh, you don't have to do that stuff anymore. There's another way to get saved. It really throws a wrench in the whole thing. Like you're pattern, trying to pattern your whole way of life after something, and then somebody comes along and says, no, like it kind of goes this way. That can be difficult. And so I was trying to think what that might be like. I guess it might be like, one thing that I was thinking of, if someone was zealous or enthusiastic or passionate about the Red Cross, Habitat for Humanity, Wounded Warrior Project, right? These good, like, humanitarian, helpful efforts, if they're really zealous about it. And then someone were to come in, maybe a Christian, and they say, well maybe with a bad attitude and not really any love, and they say, well, you know, stuff doesn't even really matter. Like, you know, you still couldn't go to heaven. And then they just come real negative about that. And maybe part of what they're saying is definitely true, but the way you just delivered that message was totally wrong because they're doing good things, like they're helping other people, which is important and good. It's just it doesn't take care of the sin issue. Right? There's the issue of sin, and so it's not really like taking care of that stuff. And we'll, we'll talk more about that later, but this is the big deal. This is the thing. Like These guys just pattern their whole life after this law that was given from God. So you got Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, right? This is what they had, the law, everything that was in there. And if you've ever read through it, it's like not really that captivating. You know, it's like sometimes it's like how to handle mold in your house, what to do with that. How you should actually sew and make your clothes, you know, go together. Uh, how you should plow your fields. What kind of sacrifices you should make and how often you should make them. But these guys were zealous for it because they believed it was from God. So then the question then comes up, right, because these elders of the church are saying, hey, listen, you're telling them not to do any of that stuff. Not even circumcision was the big one that they had. Um... Supposedly you're telling them not to do that, which isn't really the case. And so we catch up in verse 22. What shall we do? Right, that's their question. Right, so it's like Bobby, right? He just went out, repo project, roughed some guys up, they're really mad, they came back, there's some heat. So Paul went out, a message that's maybe different and really fulfilled, but it's bringing heat back to the church, and they're not quite sure how to handle it. So the question is, are they going to be like arm's length away? Or are they going to like get really in, embrace this around their apostle, Paul, who they sent out? How are they going to handle it? How would you handle it? Well, let's see what they do. It says, they will certainly hear that you have come, right? So they're putting two together, you know. These Jews, they're going to hear that you came. So, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that, 
so that they can have their head shaved, then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. So their idea is, hey, listen, and here's where I think they, they mess up. I would think that if somebody was on my team and I was really all for them and I believed in them and there was difficulty and they came for help, I wouldn't say, okay, well, like, go talk to them and, like, go kind of figure it out. I would be like, hey, all of us up here, this church we have established here, come on with us, let's go and let's address them together and let's talk about it and let's bring it up and handle this. They're kind of like, alright, like you kind of go handle that and work that out with these few guys and maybe they'll interpret your willingness to go along with doing this purification rite, which was a Nazarite vow. You can read more about that in, more about that in number six where they have to like shave their head, abstain from alcohol, abstain from grapes and fermented drink and set aside themselves for a period of time from God and then offer sacrifices. You can read more about that in number six if you'd like this week for some homework. But that was what they came up with, which I think wasn't really a good thing. And we're going to find out ultimately it's going to lead you know, to some real problems for him. So they handled him from kind of an arm's length. So in verse 25, as for the Gentile believers... We have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So as the next day, Paul took the men, and he does it. You know, He submits to his authority. He had authority in his life. He submits to it. He's not this super apostle that's above anybody. And he's got to be thinking on the inside, why am I doing this? But says the next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and offering would be made for each of them. So he does what they say and goes the extra step. And he actually even pays for their offerings and things. So he like, you know, goes the extra mile. Because supposedly he's saying, it's not really, you don't need these vows, you don't need to observe the special days and go through part of the law and stuff. And so the thinking is from the Church of Jerusalem is if he goes out and does this, it might look good and save face and people will buy into what he's saying. Well, we'll have to find out next week what actually happens. But this week, like what can we take away from it What is really, you know, practical for 20 and 11? So I had really three thoughts. Three thoughts that I think are interesting. So one thought that crossed my mind certainly right away is a question. Right? Could you be guilty of making waves for Christ? Because right? Paul certainly did this. Or are you too much of a people pleaser? And I'll get to the Proverbs 28 one thing in a minute. So is there any place in our lives where at some point we encounter some difficulties and some hardship because of our faith in Christ? Not because we're a rebellious, rude, obnoxious person. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying for the sake that you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in the gospel, have there been some friction and some conflict around that? If there never has been, I want to evaluate 
kind of how you're walking and talking and living this thing out. Because as you go through the Bible and you look at guys like uh, Paul and Jesus and, and David and Paul and Peter and all these guys that were there, these, these aren't super people. These are regular guys. These are fishermen and just you know regular workers half the time. But when God came in their life in a real and powerful way, guess what? There's somebody on the other side called Satan who's not liking what's going on. He's going to create some problems. And so, at some point in time, we should have to deal with that. I attach the people-pleaser part because, in my opinion and in my experience, I've noticed that uh, people think sometimes that by being really super nice and that almost even being maybe even a punching bag for people sometimes, that's like being more Christian. And that's really showing Christ's love. On the next slide, I won't come back to this one in a second. Uh, I've just finished reading this book. It's an interesting book. You know, we have a little one on the way. He's coming soon, and just reading some books and getting some ideas and perspective on parenting and um, just kind of the struggles that are out there. You know, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, teaching uh, high school and some boys around kids, and grew up teaching Sunday school and. Uh, got a younger brother, and just always been around all of it. But I, I want to approach it from like a Christian wise mindset, you know, other than what everybody else is saying. And so this is an interesting book. Uh, what caught me was the bottom part. It says raising raising secure, assertive kids in a tough world. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's that's pretty good. And I talked recently about with a couple of people about this book, and you know, this guy who wrote it was a coach at all different levels, um, always around kids. He has his own kids. And, you know, he was saying that one thing he noticed on his teams anyways was that when he had, you know, Christians and non-Christian kids, he noticed the Christian kids, you know, the big difference is that they wouldn't really swear. And that was really the only difference. And that's all he really noticed. And he's like, geez, if that's the bar that we're setting, like, oh my goodness. And to be totally honest, in my experience, coaching high school basketball at a Christian school, that was really kind of the biggest difference, really. I mean, they just didn't swear a lot. And so, in this book, he addresses a lot on, like, bullying. But the other side that he addresses a lot is what he calls moral courage. Not courage of when life is difficult and... But it presents a lot of challenges and obstacles that you've got to get back up on the horse, you've got to persevere, you've got to keep fighting and trying. Courage from the standpoint of, hey, when your friend's getting picked on, you should stick up for him. When you see something not right happening, injustice taking place, you actually take the initiative and get involved in it because that's what God calls us to do, not to just be bystanders and not just do anything about it. And learning how to draw healthy boundary lines for yourself. Not causing problems every place you go. But drawing healthy boundary lines. So you could be assertive, but not obnoxious and rude. Right? And that's something to learn. That's something to figure out. And so to go back to the original point as far as people pleasing and making waves, the thing that I thought centered around you know, just trying to be people pleaser and get along with everybody is the whole turning the other cheek thing. And so I liked his quote from the book. It says, Turning the other cheek does not mean we aren't allowed to defend ourselves. It means, for example, they were not to return insult with insult. It means we aren't to respond evil with evil. Right? That's like kind of the point of turning the other cheek. It's not just that you just 
like we talked about before, just become a punching bag and just take all of it, and then somehow that shows Christ's love. I'm a good Christian. Anything that has the total opposite effect, and it's going to kill you on the inside. The other interesting fact is that when Jesus himself was on his way to the cross, and he was standing there before the Sanhedrin, and they were accusing him of a bunch of things, they actually did. They slapped him, bam, right on the cheek for what he was saying. And so after reading the turn the other cheek thing, it's curious. Well, how is Jesus going to respond? Because he's the one that said, you know, turn the other cheek. So how did he respond? Was he quiet? Did he offer the other one, you know? Did, you know, like, what did he do? Well, right away, he responded and he said, listen, what have I done wrong? I've always been in the synagogue. I haven't caused any trouble. I've healed people. If I've done something wrong, then prove it to me. So as soon as he got slapped in the cheek, he just didn't roll over and just take it. He defended himself right away. Not with another insult, not really with violence even, but he defended himself and set the boundary of, listen, this is where truth is, and I've been doing it. Where am I wrong? And so turn the other cheek really has an interesting meaning to it. And so people-pleasing... Mm, not really the most healthy way really to handle things. And so sometimes we have to, you know, God is going to bring certainly some conflict and difficulty around. And so to just diffuse it sometimes without any sort of ruffling of the feathers maybe isn't exactly what God has in mind. So that was one thought. Right? One thought is, in my own life as I look back and reflect, for the sake of the gospel... Have there been some waves made, some heated arguments, maybe a little bit of friction? Hopefully I haven't really lost the person. Sometimes that happens. And I can think of, you know, a few examples in my own life where, yeah, you know, certainly has made some waves and made some things more difficult. But sometimes that's what happens. So here's a second thought. Second thought was that pressure situations show what we are really made of, it also reveals what our friends are made of. Right? Because they went there, right? You, you can know. I mean, you just look back in your own life when rubber hits the road and it was tough and it was difficult, you know, how did you respond? And you might not be so proud of it sometimes. Maybe other times maybe you were kind of proud of it. And you can kind of see like what you're really about when it's really difficult and tough. But it also lets you know kind of what's going on with your friends and the people that surround you. And this is kind of the part that kind of irks me and bothered me about them at Jerusalem when Paul came there and they received him warmly and they just kind of handled him with like this arm-length suggestion instead of embracing him, taking him on board and like going to bat for him. And I was like, man, you know, I hope that. I know I try to be anyways to try and, friend, try and be the friend that when things even get tough and they're difficult and ugly and they're just not clean and you can't, you don't even probably even have any answers, but you could just still be there and offer love and support and encouragement. That just goes a long way. Because you have to think if you're Paul, if he's a regular guy, couldn't he have possibly maybe felt a little bit of like abandonment type there? being like, geez, you know, I just went out and God has been doing all this and I come back, I took an offering. They didn't even really ask for that offering. And this is kind of the way like we're dealing with this now. 
sure, like, you know, that one kind of hurt a little bit. Kind of stung. So the last thought. Last thought on here. And we talked about this a little bit before, but I think this part is really important. It says, the Jewish people possessed a basic misunderstanding of the law. They were zealous for it. They were passionate about it. They loved it. They patterned their whole life after it. But a little bit of a basic misunderstanding. In a sense that they started to feel like they were really worthy and acceptable to God because they really started to get it down pretty good. Where they could offer up their sacrifices. They knew what they were supposed to do when they were supposed to do it. And it just really got turned into following like a lot of rules and regulations. And they got to be pretty good at it. The only problem is on the inside it was pretty nasty and pretty ugly. And so when Jesus came around, he didn't have a whole lot of kind words for him. Whitewashed tombs, brutal vipers. Like these are not like nice things to say to people. But this is what he said to them. Right? Because he's dealing with it in truth. And so they had a misunderstanding that they thought their acceptance from God was based on just following those things when it does play a part to be obedient to what God asks, but what's more important is on the inside is it actually a part of us. Right? Is it actually a part of my nature, a part of my fabric, part of my being? What is my motivation to doing it? Is it because I'll get recognized? Is it because people will pat me on the back? Would I even do this if nobody even will find out about it? Right? These are the types of questions that it caused you to ask and kind of think about. You know, we say here, church without religion. Right? That's kind of the slogan we've been using. And who knows how long you know, we'll use it for. I, I don't know. But it seemed kind of nice at first. It was catchy. And it kind of hits home the part of relationship. And on your bulletin, right, there's a verse on there from Isaiah. It says, The Lord says these people come, ne- come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Right? Their worship of me is made is based on merely human rules they have been taught. That was how they worshipped God, was by doing the rules and regulations. Instead of sometimes, you know, building on that relationship with God, which is so critically important. And so we say church without religion. Yeah, we just don't want to get caught up in rules and regulations. We want to emphasize the relationship part. The interesting thing about that is that in the Bible, you're never going to find the verse where it says, it's a relationship between you and God. So what the heck am I talking about, right? Like, you know, is it just a nice spin we put on it, you know, just to get it in there and try and hit it home, you know, what's that about? Well, it doesn't directly say that in one verse. But if you take the Bible as a whole, whole context, whole counsel, that's why it's completely invaluable to learn the whole Bible, to read through the whole Bible, to know how God works in the whole thing, not just pieces here and there, but to know the whole thing you really understand what God is about. And so on the next slide, um, we'll go on to the next one, we'll come back to that. Relationship, right? Relationship. Where is it coming from? Where is the idea coming from? Well, we're called to abide in Him. Jesus the vine were the branches, and He calls us to abide in Him. And that's what that verse in John 15 is all about. You don't abide and really remain in someone or something. I mean, that's got to take your time, effort, energy. 
It's a sense of being really completely in someone else and really in their lives and involved there. And so to just say, well, I worship God because I did go to church every Sunday and I did give money when I was supposed to, well, sort of, right? Sort of. There's more to the story. What else? We're supposed to talk to God in the sense that where we confess to Him what's going on. 1 John 1. And you can go through and check these verses out if you'd like, you know, later in the week to see if I'm just blowing smoke or it actually is applicable. Okay? So confess to Him what's going on. Just talking with Him. Right? Talking with God. He actually just wants us just to talk with Him. That's a vital part of this whole God-Christianity thing is just talking. It's hugely, hugely important. So just to think that you go through the motions and do certain things that all of a sudden that's good enough. Not exactly. They are good, but God really wants the heart. The deepest parts, all things. And at the end there, spend time with Him. Right? That's another important, critical concept. Throughout the Bible, all men of God, all people of God, they just spent time with Him. So that lends more than just like a Sunday morning. That's like all week long, every day, just talk to Him, seeing what's going on, pouring out your feelings, seeing what maybe He might even say back. God talks back to us. Some people think that's insanity, but uh, He does. And Jesus even sets a pattern for that in that Mark 135 verse. And so all these things, and so we use the you know, axe right down the side there. The funny thing is about that is that just kind of worked out that way. You know, I just wrote them down and then I was like, hey, let's, like, that's axe right there, right down the left. I was like, how funny is that? So it was kind of interesting that it worked out like that. But uh, God's pretty interesting, right? So the previous slide before, here's what it's really about. This was said by a Jewish guy, Peter, actually to this head church in Jerusalem we've been talking so much about and the guys that are like at arm's length they did have their flashes of brilliance where they sort of embraced it but they always kind of struggled and so here's Peter one time where he stands up and talks and it really sets the record straight but they always had a hard time understanding this so it says now then why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear Right? They didn't understand the law. They thought that they just did this stuff and it was good with God. Little did they know that it was more than that and you could never really do it. And so Peter says, no. We believe it's through this grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And that's the message that Paul was sending out, but it just got confusing and tough sometimes because they didn't understand where Moses and the law fit in there. So the law set out this lifestyle of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this to the most basic mundane things and you could never honestly keep up all of it and so the point of Jesus to come was to fulfill all of it. Here he did it. Here he took care of it because the whole point of the law was like to try and deal with the issue of sin. That was the big deal. That was the big problem. So if you try and follow that law, 600 and whatever parts to that law, Hopefully that would take care of the sin. But Jesus came in. Perfect blood, perfect sacrifice. That's what took care of the law. So Paul wasn't like saying get rid of it. He was saying, hey, there's a guy here who took care of it. So he was just fulfilling it. 
So let's uh, let's stand and then uh, we'll pray together. And I think we'll do uh, we'll do one last song. We'll do that Come Now Fount song. I kind of like that song, even though it's older type hymn. So we'll do that one last song. So let's stand. Uh, we'll pray, and then we'll do the song. Let's close in prayer before we start those. So God, we just pray, Lord, that you would just help us, help me, Lord, to um, all of this you know, stuff, Lord, just uh, involves being courageous, uh, having boldness, Lord. That Proverbs 28.1 verse, which I didn't talk about, Lord, says we're supposed to be bold as, says the righteous are as bold as lions, Lord. Sometimes we could be as soft as marshmallows, God. And so I just pray, Lord, that you just help us with that, Lord, to be as bold as lions, Lord, in your name, God, for what you call us to do. And we also pray, Lord, that you would help give us the... um, Discipline, Lord, to spend the time with you that we need to, God. To set aside and clear away time, Lord, to literally spend that time with you, Lord, to just to talk with you, Lord, to confess what's going on, share our world with you, God. And within that time, we know that supernaturally, Lord, your Holy Spirit just works through us and teaches us and, and speaks to us, God. And so we pray for a greater abundance, Lord, in our own times with you, God. Because that is the essential, critical part of Christianity. Sunday mornings are good and it's a supplement, but our times with you is the foundation, God. So we pray, Lord, that we would not negate that, God. We keep it a priority. In Jesus' name, Amen.